Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. What a wonderful way to spend some quality time right here listening to this podcast. The Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin. I'm Patrice Sikora. And Peter, I hope all is well with you as we make this turn into the fourth quarter of the year. Yeah, it's the, the end of summer. It, it's kind of sad to say goodbye to uh, to that, but looking forward to this. I always think of of the fall as kind of the beginning, beginning of school. Beginning <laughs> True. Of, yeah, so that that's, that's a, in a lot of ways my beginning of the year. Well, all the pumpkin um, coffee is out and all the, uh, the pumpkin donuts, so I guess. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, Peter, you have a guest who is a CPA, and that inevitably sparks thoughts of taxes. So what is it about Jim Spoto that made you decide to invite him to be on your show? I find Jim to be a, a great communicator. We've had uh, numerous discussions in, 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 in preparing for, for this conversation. I thought it'd be interesting to, to hear issues that they've, his wife, Marie, have seen over the years and in that way, really educate our listeners about some tax issues. I always think about um, professional advice, and I've said this many times on my, my podcast. It's not what you know, it's what you don't know. And, and that's why I think people should utilize professionals, whether it's uh, accountants, financial planners, uh, doctors, attorneys, you know, whatever. It, it's that there's lots and lots of information out there People like Jim, they live this world, this accounting world and tax world. And uh, I think it's a, a, a great value for people to, to use Jim as a resource. And, and that's why I wanted to bring him on, on the show today. Well, have at it. Go for it. Great. Well, Jim, thank you very much for being here on the podcast with me and Patrice. And I always like to start off when we're talking to guests is just tell me about your journey. How did you get from there to here where, where you are today? Well, thank you both uh, Patrice and Peter for having me on. It's, it's an honor to be with you both and really appreciate the opportunity to help educate your listeners uh, with regards to taxes. So my journey uh, and my wife's journey has, has come a long way in the last uh, 25 years. We both uh, met at PricewaterhouseCoopers, or it was actually Coopers and Libran back in the days of the big six. Um, so we've got some miles on us, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, back in the day, we did audit and we both left that PwC at some point in the past. And went to the corporate world for a number of years. And with that, you know, kind of developed our own experiences, mostly in uh, accounting and financial reporting. But at the same time, we always kept our feet in tax. We were doing taxes for friends and families and uh, and really enjoyed kind of learning through our friends and, and, and family, understanding what they were going through and kind of help them as much as possible. Um, it got to the point about 12, 15 years ago, my wife decided to leave the corporate world and she started working in tax, working at small CPA firms or in the area and really enjoyed that aspect of being a CPA. And, you know, because we hadn't really touched on that uh, or she hadn't really touched on that prior to that. 
And by the time 2020 rolled around, after she had spent almost over 10 years working with other firms, she finally decided to start out on her own. And, and that was kind of a crazy time, if you remember the summer of 2020. Uh, sure <laughs> COVID. Yeah, COVID took over and and she said, you know what, I, I think it's time for me to start up my own practice. And so I was working um, in my corporate job and really decided, to, okay, I'll help you out. You get started and, and I'll come join you later. We always thought about when we, you know, quote, retire, uh, we'd hang a shingle. But she started doing it a little earlier. And then within six months of me helping her a little bit, she needed some help with, you know, getting systems up and running and the network going and some software. I really decided after almost 20 years at my last job to to leave and and start now building Spoto CPA. And so it's been a, a fun journey over these last three years, uh, working with her, learning, doing a you know a lot more in-depth. Uh, research and training. Uh, it's been a lot of fun over the last three years, quite frankly. Yeah. And what what intrigued me when, when I found out, found out about your, your practice, I was introduced to you by a, a friend of mine and, and an, an attorney that we've worked with. And what intrigued me about your practice was just the, your focus on, on service. That was the number one. Mm -hmm. um, you, you decided based on our our conversations that you're going to limit your practice and by doing that you were able to provide a really top-notch level of service that's that your clients and i think many many people listening really appreciate yeah that's and and that's one of the things that especially my wife learned uh, very early on during uh, her time working with others is that how much clients really you know enjoy having that contact that point of contact and and really strive to build that relationship with their CPAs because there's so much going on that they don't know and like you said earlier you know what you don't know is what, what you got to be worried about and and they really want that extra communication from us and so we've we've realized that we need to be able to to be able to give that level of service that we need to limit the number of clients that we can bring on. We don't want to get in a situation where people are calling us and we just don't have the time to respond to them. Um, you know, we make it a point that we're going to get back to you within 24 hours and maybe 48 if it's busy season. But generally speaking, we're getting back in touch with folks in 24 hours because they have time sensitive information, time sensitive questions that they need answers to. And, and we understand that. So yeah, it's really important. And that's I think the nature of of um of what we'll talk about today is that you and and Marie really want your your clients to call you to just touch base and let the, let them know, let you know what's happening in their lives from a financial perspective. And when they when they haven't done that in the past with other other uh, advisors, you've uncovered mistakes. Mhm. Mm You've uncovered kind of wrong turns that people have taken, not because they're they're bad or, mm -hmm. or or intentional. It's just, you know, sometimes this information is really important in in, in decision making. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people need to to reach out whenever they're making a, a significant financial decision. As an example, we've seen a client who decided they wanted to sell their home and they had just moved in less than a year earlier. They actually didn't reach out in time to be able to, you know, contact us to be able to say, hey, 
If you wait two or three more weeks, you'll get long-term capital gains treatment, potentially saving you a significant amount of money um, on their taxes. That we found was was a huge benefit we could have provided, yet the people did not contact us. And we reached out, we reach out all throughout the year. And and selfishly, we want people to contact us throughout the year to tell us about the transactions they're doing so that we can focus on that when it's not April 14th. And, you know, they're they're telling us, oh, yeah, we just sold our house. It's tell me during the year when you're about to do it, not after you've done it. And I can help, you know, utilize the tax laws that are out there to make this the best tax answer for you. Yeah, I think that's a just a great example of of uh, just a simple call and say, "Hey, you know, there's money involved in this transaction. Maybe there are tax issues, and we should call call our accounting mm-hmm. firm yeah. and, and see see what the uh, what the best approach might be." Another example of um, of kind of a mistake is is uh, you said uh, you you had mentioned to me a home sale exclusion. Could you describe that? So yeah, so what we've seen is, and and you know, in, in you know, relatively sad situations where a um, there might be the death of a spouse, and that in those situations, you know, they typically have been living in their house for a number of years, and the tax law allows for a home sale exclusion when you sell your house at a gain. Um, typically, it's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per individual. And so married couples, if they were to sell their house, they can exclude up to $500,000 of the gain. So they don't have to pay taxes to the extent they sell their house for less than $500,000 over what they paid for it and any improvements that they've made. But what the IRS has also said is that if your spouse passes away, you have up to two years from the date of death to sell the house and still get your spouse's exemption. So if you don't take action within two years, you know, a lot of people whose spouses have passed on, um, they want to downsize their home, you know, we need to be in communication with them to let them know that if you sell it within the next two years, you get this potentially significant tax benefit, you know, upwards of, you know, 40,000 plus dollars uh, of tax benefit if you were to sell your home, if it has a significant gain. Yeah, and that's significant. That's that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can make a, a huge difference for for a survivor. No, I was just going to say it. It, it kind of gets back to what you were talking about before, which is you know you don't know what you don't know, and and understanding tax laws. Tax laws taking advantage of what is out there is so important. And if you don't know and you don't ask, you will you know you could potentially lose out on on many situations. And that's what we're here for is to help them with that. These are some of the things that I'm seeing in, in, in talking to our clients is that there's a lot of confusion or just not clarity around itemized deductions and, and limitations. And mm-hmm. it, is a, it is very confusing. Yeah. And I thought, um, if you wouldn't mind, Jim, would you, would you give a little bit of background about itemized deduction limitations, how that affects people. And then we can talk about some of the the issues that you've seen over the years with that. Yeah. So itemized deductions, you know, back in 2018 with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act that was passed um, by the federal government, that reduced 
it changed the way itemized deductions worked. Prior to that, when people were preparing tax returns, many people, particularly in high-income tax states like Massachusetts, California, New York, they were they were itemizing their deductions. So they're taking deductions for, you know, there's really four big categories. It's mortgage interest, it's charitable deductions, it's state and local taxes, and then it's medical expenses. Those are kind of the big four categories. So people were taking that itemized deduction prior to the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. After that, the, with the significant limit on state and local taxes, it changed so that most people were taking the standard deduction. They increased the standard deduction at that time as well. So it, it ended up being more beneficial for folks to take the standard deduction. You could take either one. Typically, you're going you're gonna to want to take the higher of the two uh, because it is a deduction. It does reduce your taxable income. So so thinking about that, you know, the key categories, like I said, there's medical expenses is, is what you typically see right on top. Um, but that's limited to seven, you know, to a floor of seven and a half percent of your income that unfortunately most people, um, you know, that we see other than maybe retirees are not usually taking that expense because they have their health insurance paid for, say, by their employers. So most people don't hit that seven percent and a half percent floor. So they're not able to deduct any medical expenses. State and local taxes is the next big one. And that's usually your real estate taxes. It's your income taxes you pay. But the government has now limited that to $10,000. So for the most part, that's where we see folks hitting the cap on that. Then there's mortgage interest. And, and mortgage interest is an interesting one because also with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, they limited the amount of interest you can deduct. They basically said, we don't want people who buy homes more than 750,000 we don't want them to be able to deduct their interest above 750,000 so if you have a mortgage for say a million dollars you can't deduct all of the interest you can only deduct 3 quarters of the interest because they're going to put a cap at $750,000 so that's something to keep in mind particularly knowing that that was 5 years ago that that law was passed and they haven't indexed that for inflation. And if anybody has been looking at the housing market, they'll know for certain that, you know, the the, the cost of houses gone houses have gone up significantly um, since 2018, uh, particularly after the pandemic. And so and interest rates are now significantly higher as well. Um, so that limitation is really gonna start to hurt a lot of people and not just the high income earners who can, you know, who who are buying, you know, starter homes these days seem to be going for more than $750,000, which is is kind of scary. So that's with the mortgage interest deduction. And that's something to keep in mind. You can also take deductions for a second home. Uh, but again, it has to be not more than 750000 in total. Um, so something to keep in mind there is especially for folks who are looking to buy a new home or a second and home. And it's it's not for um, home equity lines of credit, correct? So yeah, another interesting point is that in that law, they changed it and to say that the only, if you do take a home equity line of credit, the funds have to be used for improvements on your home. 
So it can't be to pay off a car loan. It can't be to pay off a student loan or to pay for tuition for your child. It has to be strictly for the home itself. And typically that would be improvements uh, being made. So yeah, that's a that's another great point, Peter, that people don't fully understand that they're like, oh, I took out a second mortgage or a home equity line. Can I deduct all of that? The answer is no, unfortunately, if it's not used for the home. I, I find that there's a lot of, um, you know, people keep on harping back to the days of yore when um, interest was fully deductible. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, they think of, of debt as including home equity line um, yep. debt as being a good thing to have. And I are, are I'm constantly reminding people that no, you, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, you know, and a lot of, you know, that was just one of the changes as we've talked about a number of changes that were made back in 2018. And another one was unreimbursed business expenses. That was something that prior to 2018, people could take, um, depending on a, a particular floor for miscellaneous deductions, you might be able to take some deductions for that. That went away. So like you said, people have this memory of, oh yeah, I could take all these expenses. I could do this with my home equity. And, and, you know, the answer is, unfortunately, as with everything, tax law changes. And, uh, you know, we we have to keep up to date on this. So, you you know, people do come to us a lot and say, can I take that? I used to be able to. You used to, but unfortunately not anymore. So along the same lines of, of, of or at least the issue around itemized deductions is, is, is charitable giving. Mm-hmm. And um, I've found, especially over the last bunch of years, that some misunderstanding uh, around the charitable deduction, when they can take advantage of it, when they're not going to. And then as clients become eligible for charitable distributions from their individual retirement accounts, a big mistake is people not taking advantage of that. Could you Could you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. So, you know, with this change recent, particularly recently with the with the the rules around uh, itemized deductions and many people not being able to take advantage of itemized deductions, you know, they're coming to us saying, "Hey, I'd like to deduct my my charitable giving," and and great that you do that. Um, whether it's non cash items, say clothing or household items that they're donating, or it's it's cash or car, those items are deductible for itemized deductions. But again, if they're not, if you don't go over that threshold of the standard deduction, then it's you know kind of a no benefit situation, unfortunately. So what we've done is we've talked to clients a lot about bunching their donations um, within a particular year. And and in particular, utilizing things like a donor-advised fund. You know, I I don't want to go into too many details unless you want to, Peter, on that. But donor-advised funds is a great way to put aside some money, get the deduction today, depending on the size of it. And that would allow you to then make charitable donations in the future um, so baby bunching three or four years worth of charitable donations into one year could allow you to take that deduction now, uh, whereas you might not be able to take that deduction in any of the next three or four years if you spread it out. Hi, this is Catherine Broy from the Raskin Planning Group. Apologies for the interruption. Thanks so much for listening to Wealth is in the Details. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, please visit our website at www.raskinplanning.com. Look for the podcast's show notes and connect with us via social media. 
Yeah, I think that the, the donor advice fund is a great tool for for clients. It's, it's just an easy way to um, to make charitable contributions, and it's an easy way to to make grants to charities in other years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, just a great, easy, flexible tool. Uh, also, to to give appreciated assets to, uh, it's a wonderful vehicle for that. Yeah, that's the double the double benefit of of using a donor advised fund. And it makes it very simple to give to a charity. You know, normally if you'd say, "Oh, I want to give to a charity," you know, this one share of Apple stock that's appreciated fifty bucks because I want to give them a hundred dollars. You can't really do that. Most charities wouldn't take a, a, a equity donation that small. But if you can make that donation into your donor advised funds and most custodians like a fidelity a vanguard will allow that you now can not have to pay the taxes on that capital gain and in addition you get a deduction for the full amount of the value of that stock so it's a double tax benefit and we you know highly recommend that particularly in years like we are now which taking the standard deduction is typical and and nobody's really a, you know taking advantage of the itemized yeah so, and especially mm-hmm. we got we've had some significant appreciation on a lot of assets over the last 18 months it's been very good for for some companies and yeah. and there's been a lot of appreciation another sure. area in, in the charitable world are uh, qualified charitable distributions. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little little bit about that and what what the advantages are? Yeah, the the qualified charitable distributions are a fantastic tool. Th- this relates to folks who are over 70 and a half who have started taking uh, their required minimum distributions. And when you start taking those, you're going to get taxed on those amounts. Um, but the benefit of taking a qualified charitable distribution is that it can be considered a part of your RMD, but it's not taxable income to you. Um, You can't get a deduction for it, but it's better than the deduction because it just eliminates your need to take that RMD and it also is not taxable. So if you're looking to just pass on money directly to a charity that's tax-free, this is a fantastic way to do that. And you don't have to worry about am I itemizing or not. So it's a great tool for those that qualify. Yeah, and so so many of our clients who are 70 and a half or or older, they may not be itemizing Mm -hmm. and therefore they're losing the deduction. And Mm -hmm. so using their IRA really, in a sense, gets that deduction back because they don't have to pay taxes on on that distribution amount. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so it's a great, I, I see these are, are things that are easily done, but uh, it's a mistake not taking advantage of these opportunities. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yep. Um, another area that we talked about was just some employer programs that are, are available to, to employees that they should be taking advantage of. And if they're not taking advantage of, um, they need to do it the correct way. Mm-hmm. And here I'm thinking about um, health savings accounts, for example. Yeah, so a health savings account is a such a fantastic benefit if you if you're eligible for it. So a health savings account is basically a, a savings account for folks who have a high deductible health plan. 
So what does that mean? There, there are specific rules around what is a high deductible health plan, but typically if you are in a high deductible health plan, you'll know it because you're typically paying the first dollar of expenses up to say three or four or $5,000 uh, for you and or your family. And that what the IRS is allowing and tax law allows is that you can put money away to pay for that deductible for future years, for instance, um, by putting it into this health savings account. And that grows, you know, so the the HSA is this triple benefit that you can get for putting money aside for future medical expenses. So they call this triple benefit because the first, when you put money into it, it is deductible to you. So you don't have to pay taxes on that portion of your income that you put into the HSA. Secondly, it's going to grow tax-free for a number of, for as many years as you leave it in the account. And then thirdly, you can withdraw it completely tax-free if you're using it for qualified medical expenses. And so what we've talked to clients about is fully utilizing this because the IRS allows and I want to say it's 3650 for individuals, 7300 for families. And I have to double check the math, the numbers on that. But using those amounts, you can grow that tax-free into retirement. So we kind of consider this almost a quasi-retirement account because you know when you retire, you're going to have medical expenses, whether it be the Medicare premiums you pay or out-of-pocket costs or supplemental Medicare insurance that you might have all of those costs are eligible costs for withdrawing in the HSA. So it is a fantastic tool to fully utilize. And what we see a lot is folks just taking the employer contribution because their employer sets them up with the HSA, opens up the account in their name, and then says, we'll just deposit $1,500 to help you out, to get you started. And that's a great benefit if your employer does it. But if you don't also say, well, I want to contribute as well, then you're not fully utilizing that 3600 7300 benefit. And so when we get to the tax return, we actually have time because the IRS lets you contribute until April 15th um, when you file your tax return to an HSA. So if we see they haven't utilized it fully, we'll let the client know and say, hey, if you put this in, you're going to save X dollars based on your incremental tax rates. So it's a really huge benefit. Yeah, it really is. And, and the important thing here is from a planning standpoint, I think is is to take advantage of the of the wins. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. don't pay tax. You're not paying tax on your on the money in. You're not paying tax on the accumulation and, and growth of that asset. So let it compound over many years. And then you're not going to pay tax on the withdrawal. So it's that one of the big wins is the compounding. If your monies can grow in a portfolio of stocks and bonds and it accumulates fast, you know, it does better than inflation, that money will grow and accumulate. And then in your 70s, mid 70s, 80s, that's when you might want to start spending the money, but let it grow. It's part yeah. of your retirement. I think of it just like you do. It's part of your a retirement savings strategy. Mm -hmm. Great vehicle. Yeah, it is. I mean, and it's important for folks to also understand that even if you're, you know, you you think to yourself, well, I don't have the cash available to to invest in it. It's important to, you know, if you're paying out of pocket for some of those expenses, whether it's kids' medical expenses, your medical expenses, 
putting the money into the HSA and then maybe even immediately withdrawing it to pay for that expense, that's what gets you the tax deduction. Just going out and paying directly to your doctor or the to your uh, pharmacy for, for any medication, that's not going to get you that deduction. The money kind of has to flow through the HSA. So we have seen situations where people just don't have the ability to, to save um, significant amounts. But if you have this plan, you definitely want to take advantage of that tax deduction, at least immediately. And, th- and that's why you have to flow through the HSA. Yep. An- another employer-based um, planning strategy that you know we think everyone should be taking advantage of is, is certainly the 401k. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there's so many options, you know, depending on your, well, there's the main option, the main benefit, which is your employer typically will match some of your contributions and and not take not putting money aside to match to, to get the full benefit of the match for your, your employer. That's just leaving money on the table that that's free money, quite frankly. And so we always tell our clients to to make sure they're taking advantage of that. But then we also get questions about, should I be putting it into a pre-tax 401k or a post-tax Roth 401k? And that's that's an individual choice. And we'll work with clients um, as to where they are in their in their life journey. Are they young and in lower tax brackets? Then maybe they want to do a Roth. If, if they're older and in higher tax brackets, then they probably want to do the a pre-tax 401k. And, and we'll talk to them and kind of look at, especially when you're even older and getting close to retirement, understanding kind of what their income needs and, and income ability is going to be in retirement and RMDs and kind of factoring all that in, kind of projecting what their potential future future tax rates are is is important to kind of decide make that decision but yeah 401k is a fantastic opportunity to kind of take advantage of those tax benefits as well as you know employer benefit yeah and, and speaking of um of roths could you there's a, a bunch of issues around roths they're 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 not so straightforward as they mm-hmm. might seem but i know we've talked a little bit about some of the the issues that you've seen around traditional Roth IRAs. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So one of the things that we like to talk with our clients about is, is so first, you know, when you have a traditional IRA and you say your income is changing, maybe you're retiring, you or your spouse is retiring and you're not quite yet at that RMD age, um, you've got this window of opportunity to potentially convert some of your IRAs to a Roth. And that's a huge benefit because in those years where you're retired, where you might not be working or have as much income, you can take advantage of some of the lower tax brackets that the IRS gives to folks with lower income. And being able to do some conversions prior to having to take the money yourselves because of the RMDs can really uh, be a huge benefit. So, we work with clients all the time to decide, should I be doing some conversions or should I not? We've seen clients try to do some backdoor conversions. That's a that's another tricky scenario uh, where folks are putting money into an IRA and then immediately converting that to a Roth. And that's a great strategy, but it does have its pitfalls. In particular, we've seen a situation where a client 
put money into an IRA thinking that, oh, I can just convert this and get the backdoor Roth and now my money will grow tax-free. Unfortunately, the client also held an IRA from a rollover IRA from another employer. Um, And so what the IRS says there is, well, it's not going to be a tax-free conversion. It's going to be taxable to you uh, because you have other IRAs. And so very complicated. The person went ahead and did that, and we've had to go back and amend and correct. Not a pretty scenario. So it's another situation where speaking with your tax advisor or having a tax advisor to be able to bounce these ideas off of, because there are a lot of things people read on the internet or see a TikTok about and think that, oh yeah, I can do that. But when you don't know the full story, it, it can be very hazardous to you and and to your, you know, to your financial situation, quite frankly. Yeah. And and just our process here in in our with our firm is we want to bring in our client's tax expert. Because yeah, we 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 were familiar with tax planning, but we're not running the tax models like you are. We want to make sure if there is a Roth conversion that we're we're doing it correctly that we're keeping the client in the tax bracket that they want to be in we're keep you know making sure they're under um certain income limits so it doesn't affect their social security uh, i'm sorry it doesn't affect their their medicare costs there's a lot that goes into it and we really want to bring people like yourself into that into that conversation because it's vital just to get, do it the right way for sure. And and that's one of the things that I've enjoyed about our practice is working with directly with the financial planners and the clients, getting on Zoom calls or phone calls with the clients, with their financial planners to be able to have these discussions, whether it's inherited IRAs and can they take, should they have to take with distributions now? How should they take those distributions over what time period? Roth IRA conversions, capital gains, um, you know, we're dealing with a client right now that's, you know, in that situation where they, you know, the, the spouse just retired, they don't have a lot of income this year, and they're deciding, should we take some capital gains on some stock they, that they've had significant appreciation on, or should they do some Roth conversions? And what are the benefits of each? And oh, by the way, you know, we're still paying some college the cost for our kid? Can we get take advantage of some of the education credits? And, you know, so trying to work with them and their financial planner to make sure that they're converting enough Roth or selling enough of their investments to get that gain so that they are taking advantage of tax credits that otherwise wouldn't be refundable tax credits. Um, so doing a lot of scenario planning, it, it, that's quite frankly where there's a lot of fun for me, kind of putting in the numbers, seeing what's happening, understanding what's going on behind the scenes, and then being able to sit down and explain it to the client and to the financial advisor, hey, this is why you want to sell this much or convert that much, because you're going to be able to, to utilize all of these tax credits or tax deductions or so on and so forth. It's really, it's a lot of fun kind of working through that. It really is. I, I feel this exact same way because it really is fun helping people meet their objectives in the most effective way. You're obligated to pay taxes, but only to pay taxes at, on the amount you owe. Mm-hmm. And there's there are legal strategies to efficiently do that. And that's yeah. that's our goal. That's that's to helping people meet their go- objectives is really the that's where we get a lot of pleasure as well. Yeah, and and. and- 
working together with the financial planners, I, you know, I have a very, you know, tax focused view on things and say, okay, here's how you can pay zero tax or that might not be the right financial strategy, you know, selling that stock, you know, may not be the, in the best interest for the client. So maybe that's why, you know, doing a combination of two different things might be what's best, but that's also why the financial advisor is on that call. And if I can give the right information to, to the client and to the financial advisor, so that helps them make that call, then I know I've done my job and I've done it well. So that's, that's where, you know, kind of we, we can step in and help out. That's great. Jim, you know, you and I could talk about these, uh, these issues for hours, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, (laughs) For sure. and, and, And we can't do that today. Our listeners only have so much time. But I really, really thank you for being here, for letting our listeners know what some of these issues are, what some of the common mistakes are, and and how if some of it may be applicable to them. And and hopefully they've learned something over this last uh, 35, 40 minutes. Yeah, I've really enjoyed kind of talking with you and and thinking through all these strategies and, and, you know, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And so thank you very much for having me. Jim, how can a, a listener reach out to you and Marie? What's the best way for them to, to make contact with you? So probably the best way is to go out to our website, which is www.spotocpa.com, S-P-O-T-O-C-P-A.com. You'll be able to, you'll see our email address out there as well as there's a, a contact us form to, to complete and we'll get right back in touch with you. Great. Jim, thanks a lot for your time and Really appreciate your professionalism, and you've been a pleasure working with with you. And I'm I'm glad to have gotten to know both you and Marie. And we have also been glad to get to know you too, Peter. Thank you so so much for having me. It's been great. Great, thanks. This was such an interesting discussion, gentlemen. Thank you so much. And now that we know how to reach Jim, Peter, how can listeners reach you? Yeah, probably this, the same way. I recommend going to my website, <laughs> raskinplanning.com. And uh, again, if, uh, our contact information is there. There's a place they can reach out to us and we'll get right back to them. All right. And follow and listen to Peter's podcast. The wealth is in the details. But to make sure you don't miss an episode, as I said, follow or you could subscribe to the podcast, too. And of course, please share with others. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp., a broker-dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.